Well, uh, many Sundays, uh, a uh, preacher will come away thinking, I'd love to preach that passage of the Bible again. Um, there's just so many riches in the Bible. You preach something, that was fabulous. Oh, I want to do that again. Um, and my confession this morning is that I preached 1 Thessalonians a few years ago, and afterwards I thought, I want to do that again. So um, we've snuck in two Sundays back in 1 Thessalonians. Don't tell anyone. It's been done before. <laughs> Um, uh, just before the, the sort of summer break. We call these two messages what we need for the now and the not yet. That's kind of the way that Christians talk about the time we're living in. There's a nowness, isn't there, to, to what we believe has happened, that uh, because of the cross and the resurrection, there can be forgiveness of sins now. You can be a new creation now. Death is defeated But that's still to come, isn't it? There's some stuff that's now, but there's also some stuff that's not yet. You know, we're still sinners. We still die. We still suffer. We still make mistakes. We're still waiting for the judgment and and the new creation. We live in the now and the not yet. And that brings all kinds of questions. How do I deal with the fact that, you know, I think death is beaten and yet Christians die? How do I understand Jesus coming again? And how do I live in the light of that? All sorts of questions. So we're going to be thinking about that over the next two Sundays. This week we're going to be talking about death and grief. And next Sunday we're going to be thinking about the Lord Jesus' return. Uh, Some more, really. As we begin, let me ask you, how do you grieve? How do you cope with loss? There was a psychologist some years ago called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she said that there are five stages to grief. Some of you will be familiar with this. Um, She said the first stage is denial. When you lose someone you love, it's so hard you almost, you you deny it. You imagine another reality where it's not true. It can't be true. There's denial. She said then then comes anger. We're angry about death. It's, It's not fair. Why, God, why? She then says there can be a stage in grief of bargaining where you kind of try and engage with a, with a higher power. She's an, she's an atheist, um, where you try and bargain, you say, oh, if I live like this, will you bring that person back? So desperate are you in your grief. And she says, then sometimes there comes a time of, of depression. You just, just, I'm so sad, why bother going on? And then she says, lastly comes acceptance. I can't, I can't fight this anymore, and I just have to live with it, and, and I think I'll be okay. And she says, that's the last stage to grief. Now, some people take that very, very seriously. They say, what, what stage of grief are you in? And then I know how you're doing and how close you are to the end, <laughs> the end of it, as if it weren't like that. I'm sure there's some helpful things in there that, that she says, but it won't be like that for us all, will it? It'll be different, different for everyone. But I'm sure you notice things in there, you think, oh yeah, that, that kind of happened for me. Um, and there's more to say as well, isn't there? Shock. Uh, in grief, there's always shock, isn't there? Even, even if you're expecting it, you're, you're never ready, are you? There's a, sh- there's a shock in grief. Um, and there's, sometimes there's confusion as well, isn't there? Someone dies and we think to ourselves, where are they? Where are they? And for the atheists, they'll go to funerals and they'll think it through and think, I want them to have gone on, but I don't know how I can put that together. And for the Christian, I want to think, I've lost a Christian whom I love. Where are they now? And I think they've gone to heaven, but then how does that work with Christ's return? And sometimes we find ourselves a bit confused. My suspicion is this morning that 
maybe more of us are confused than we realise. I mean, who wants to hand up, put their hand up and say, I'm not sure how this works? Um, and, yeah, you don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to put your hands up. But we don't want to put our hands up and say that, do we? Because we think, oh, I must have got that sorted. Well, you'll be encouraged to know that there are people in the Bible who also were confused about these things. So let me ask you, how do you grieve? And, uh, and, and come with me to Thessalonica. Uh, in Acts 17, Paul and Silas visit a church in, in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, um, and Paul and Silas are there three Sabbaths, three Saturdays. Um, they might have been three special Saturdays, so Paul and Silas might have been there three weeks. They might have been there three months. They might have been there as long as five months, but they weren't there very long. A church is formed in Thessalonica, and they do Christianity Explored. They do Discipleship Explored, but the trouble is by week three, Paul and Silas are kicked out. So there's a load of stuff they think, well, we don't really understand it, but Paul's gone. And then they appoint leaders, and they think, well, we better have some leaders, and they just get on with it. And one of the things that they are confused about is how how does it work that we're waiting for the Lord to return, and yet some Christians have died? So here is a, a passage to speak to them in their uncertainty, to encourage them to stand firm. They're doing great things, and to grieve with hope. Four things then for us to see this morning. First, Paul says to us, we don't want ignorance. When it comes to grief as Christians, we don't want ignorance. You see it there in verse 13. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul wants the Christians to live distinctive lives. He's been saying it all through chapter 4. He wants them to live holy Christ-like lives. And he's encouraged them in that in their their sex lives, in their personal lives. And now he wants them to live holy, distinctive lives in their grief. So he says to them, "I, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to be living distinctively in your grief. You can't be uninformed. If you're uninformed, you won't be able to grieve with hope. Do you see the presumption that he's got here? If you don't know the Christian gospel message and how it plays out, you're really going to struggle to have hope. You might have grief. You will certainly grieve. But you won't have a grief filled with hope. Now, Paul's presumption is that the grieving of the world, no matter what it looks like, doesn't have much hope. But you in the church, Thessalonians, as you watch your brothers and sisters die, you can have hope, says Paul. Chances are many of us over the last few years have been to um, funerals, and some of them will have been non-Christian in character. I don't know how you came away from those funerals. I'm sure, you know, people said nice things, nice thoughts were shared, nice poems were read. Maybe they said of the person who died, we'll never forget them. Or no one's ever really gone. Or um, they will live on in our hearts. And and maybe you go to a funeral like that and you come away feeling hopeful. Well, Paul says, as great as you feel on those occasions, that wasn't hope. If you want hope, you need to know Jesus. You need to know the good news and how that plays out. So that's Paul's desperate desire here, that we are informed about the life-changing message of Jesus, about his resurrection and the difference it makes to Christian hope. So friends, the implication for us here this morning 
I think it's obvious, isn't it? We actually need to be talking about our Christian hope, don't we? If we're to be informed, we've got to preach on it. We've got to teach on it. And because we're jolly forgetful, we've got to talk to each other about it. A darn sight more, I would suggest, possibly, than we do at the moment, maybe. We can't be ignorant if we want hope. We need to talk about the the resurrection of Christ and his return. I think that means we need to talk about death when death feels far away. I think we need to talk about it with our children because we want them to have hope, don't we? So we need to talk to them about it. I think we need to talk about death when it seems closer, when someone gets that, um, that diagnosis. Or maybe when... When we feel our health, you know, when we, we feel our friend's health's going downhill. And the last thing we want to talk about is, is death. Well, I think we want to give people hope, don't we? I mean, our bodies are, are decaying. But we have hope, don't we? We want to talk about it, don't we? And, and I think this means we want to talk about death when people are grieving. When people have died or when people are dying. Because we're not to be uninformed. There's a lovely um, Christian writer called Nancy Guthrie. You may have come across her. Um, She lost two children at a very, very young age. And she writes a lot on the topic of, of grief. And she says, when we know people are grieving, we often want to say something meaningful or helpful or memorable even. And she says, the problem is, we set the bar so high that when we realize I can't think of anything that's memorable, that's helpful, that's not going to be stupid, we then don't say anything at all. And she says, in grief, it's easy to feel isolated and alone. And when people avoid you, that just makes it even worse. She says, don't say nothing, say something. That is her encouragement to us. And of course, we want to say helpful things. The question is, what do we say? Well, wonderfully, we get some things to say in our Bible passage this morning. So the first thing we see in our passage today, we don't want ignorance about death and the return of Christ Second thing, we confess together, no one left behind. Verse 14, we confess together, no one left behind. Let me, let me explain that for us. Look at verse 14. Paul has said, we don't want you to grieve without hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him, Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, look, here is something Christians believe. That Jesus died and was raised on the third day. And Paul says, because we know that Jesus died and rose, we know that God will bring with Jesus on the last day all who've fallen asleep in him. In other words, we believe no one will be left behind. No one will miss out on the day of the Lord. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, uh, great, cool. But how does that work? I mean, Jesus is raised, but how does that mean that we know that God will definitely raise everyone? How does that work? Well, think of it like this. Why did Jesus die and rise? Didn't Jesus die and rise precisely to gather up those he loves, those he set his affection on? Didn't he die and rise precisely to gather them up and rescue them? Do you remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper? He said, God would strike the shepherd on the cross and the sheep would scatter. But then what did he say? But after I am raised, 
I will go ahead of you into Galilee. You see, Jesus was to be raised, to die and be raised precisely so he could gather up his disciples. He could gather up his people. He was going to go to Galilee and he was going to meet them. And that is precisely what he means to do for all his people. We confess, we, can, we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead on the third day. And so we know that he will definitely raise his people on the last day. Because that's exactly why he's come. That's exactly what he means to do. Okay, 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 Ollie. But why, I mean, what's the thing here? Why is this, um, why is this matter? Why is it significant? Well, it was really significant for the Thessalonians. They were expecting Jesus' immediate return, imminent return. And they were worried, you see. They were waiting for the Lord Jesus' return, and, and people died. And they thought the return of Jesus is the most climactic day in all of history. It's the return of the king. The king who's going to set everything right, who's going to get rid of evil forever and rescue his people. But what will happen for the people who aren't present? Not present because they're not alive. What's going to happen to them? And so they've got grieving people, dying people, and they're just not sure what to say. Well, so Paul says to them in this letter, no one will be left behind. Those who've died will be raised on the third day. That's why that mattered so much. And you know, I think this matters to us greatly too. You see, when we lose people, we worry, like the Thessalonian church did, that people will be missing out, don't we? We grieve the loss of people in our church family and we think they would have loved it to have been here today. And in our families, we think they'd have loved to have seen this child's birthday or this anniversary and so on. We worry that they are missing out. Um, Think of it like this. Some of you will know... um, people who've been invited to garden parties at Buckingham Palace. You know, you've, you've been a volunteer at a charity and you get invited to Buckingham Palace and maybe you get to meet the Queen. And some of you may know people who've even received honours, CBEs, no, I don't know what it means, but CBEs, no BEs and all this stuff, right? And they get to go to the garden and meet the Queen. Now, for those people, they might not talk about it necessarily very much, but for most of them, they're going, this is the most exciting moment of my life, I'm going to meet the Queen, And everything else in life pales into insignificance beside that day. My friends, that's how it is for the Christian, you see. Our brothers and sisters who have died, the most important day for them, the most important day for us, the most important day in all of the universe, in all of history, is the day of the return of Christ. When Jesus is crowned Lord of all, when he's declared in glory, when he calls us by name, gathers up his church, revealed and rescued for the new heaven and the new earth. It's the most important day ever. And if someone has trusted Christ, they will not miss it. They will not. We may miss them, but they are not going to miss out. Isn't that wonderful? We need not shed tears for this moment being lost for them. This greatest of all days, this greatest of all moments, for this moment is not lost. It is coming soon. Jesus is raised. He will raise all who trusted in him for that last and greatest day. What wonderful news for us in our grief. Jesus doesn't want anyone else to miss out on that day.
any more than they would want to miss him. So he will raise his own. Breathe in that hope, friends, this morning. Breathe in that hope. And let me encourage you to find ways to express it. Uh, Maybe you've got a pack of post-it notes at home. And you sit down with this Bible passage and write out some of these truths. Stick them on some mirrors everywhere. We're not to be uninformed, are we? Let's get this truth and this hope into our hearts. For those who've died in Christ, Paul says elsewhere, they're in some senses with the Lord, but there is a day coming when we will all meet him. Now, there's still further questions for the Thessalonian church. They go, yeah, yeah, okay, right. So, Christians who've died are going to be raised. But the thing is, we're alive, aren't we? And we're living, and so... You know, we'll be lining the streets ready for Jesus' return. But those who've, who've, who've just been raised, I mean, where are they going to be? I mean, you know, we're living. It's like we're at the front of the Wimbledon queue. We're going to be at, we got, we're going to have tickets for Centre Court and Court One. And they'll be jolly lucky if they get on Murray Mount or Henman Hill, if they even get in. You know, it's like those, those who are raised will be in the second class seats. So how can we be hopeful if we're not sure what's going on for those who are raised in Christ? Where they are, if they're second-class citizens. Well, to this look, notice number three this morning. Paul says, we declare no favouritism. We declare no favouritism. Look with me at verses 15 to 17. And notice, by the way, in this last section, all the words about preference and ordering and stuff, okay? So look at verse 15. What does Paul say? For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. If living Christians think we are VIPs, Paul wants us to see this morning, we we are not. We we won't precede those we've lost. You're not a VIP, no. And they're not second-class citizens. Not at all. Look, Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Do you see on the day of the Lord, there won't be preferential treatment for some. First places by the red carpet. No, the trumpet will blow. And that will be the announcement that the king is coming. And the dead will be raised. And again, notice the ordering of the words. What happens? We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord I think this picture harks back to Acts chapter 1 do you remember after Jesus was raised he spent time with his disciples and then he ascended into heaven didn't he He went up up through the clouds and the disciples just stood there gawping going "Is is he coming back what's going on And the Lord sent two angels. Do you remember that? And the angel said to the disciples, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. You know, the angel's message is, the Lord's coming again in the sky, in the clouds. You won't miss it. You can get on with your life now. You can go and make disciples. You can go and live alongside one another, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. Live and grieve and serve and make disciples. Go for it. You won't miss it. And our passage this morning adds even more to that, doesn't it? It says Jesus' return won't be the quiet Bethlehem arrival. 
It won't be the donkey on the way into Jerusalem. No, Jesus will come down from the clouds with the spoils of his victory. Jesus will be met in the sky with those he has bought with his blood. We will accompany him as the world is set right, as he is enthroned, as the the new heaven and the new earth come down. We'll be caught up together with him. No favouritism. No better positioning according to whether I've died or when I've died. No, we'll all be caught up together with him in the air. Never to be parted ever again. Now, friends, I think this again is loaded with hope. I think of those disciples stood looking up into the clouds. And I think, I imagine they would have just stood there and just kept staring if if the angels hadn't intervened. But here's his wonderful encouragement. We can get on living and serving. We can get on living and dying and grieving because we know that there is a reunion coming in the sky. And death that seems like that curse that separates all our relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. Well, it will not separate us forever. We will be caught up together with him in the air. We won't miss a moment. Last Jesus was seen in the sky. The next time he's seen, we will be there, all of us. None of whom we've lost will miss it. And friends, I want to tell us today that this is true no matter how you feel about it. Some of us grieve those who we feel were, as we sometimes say, called home early. And as life goes by, our memories fade a bit, don't they? And we we grieve differently over time when we've lost people we never expected to. And And because of that, sometimes we struggle to imagine them being part of this future. But you see, this passage says, no matter what your memory is doing, no no matter your imaginations, we will meet the Lord together in the air. We will. Isn't that the sort of truth that should grip us, get us off our seats? And I want to remind us that this is true even of those we lose who we say they had a good innings. Um, Our brothers and sisters amongst us, sometimes we we age, don't we, in our health with us. And and for some of us, we watch others, and we watch them hope in the Lord, but yet bodily we fail, don't we? And when we lose people, because our memory is only of us in our weakness and our fragility, we think, well, how can they be part of this glorious future? We've got to struggle to imagine weak, frail Christians on that day of the Lord. I love the words of uh, Hark the Herald. Where it says Jesus was born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. When Jesus raises the dead and we meet him in the air. We are raised with resurrection bodies aren't we? This is true no matter how you feel about it. We will meet him in the air together. A glorious assembly of those glorified in the presence of the king of glory. So friends, we can declare there will be no favouritism. We will meet him together. Last thing then for us today. Thing number four in our passage. What are we to do with this? Well, we're to encourage each other. That's verse 18, isn't it? This is how it will be. None of Jesus' flock left behind. No one in second class seats. No favouritism. All who belong to Jesus will be with him from then and forever. So, verse 18, therefore, 
encourage one another with these words. This is unmistakably the take-home challenge for all of us. If you're thinking, oh, Ollie, not sure what to do with this sermon this week. Well, when we get to verse 18, there ain't much wriggle room, is there? What do we do with this Bible passage, this word of the Lord for each and every one of us this day? What do we do with it? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So are you ready to do that? You might say, I I feel a bit more ready to do that now we've kind of spent some time in these verses. Um, You might think of that exercise with the post-it notes, think that would be a helpful way for me to get started on this. Um, uh, This passage says, doesn't it, we're not to be ignorant. We're supposed to be those who grieve with hope because we found hope. We're supposed to be informed grievers, aren't we? So this does mean, verse 18, doesn't it, we have got to get out speaking. And so the question is, are we ready for that? Are you ready to talk to grieving people? Specifically, are you ready to talk to grieving Christians in your church family? Are you ready to talk to dying people in our midst? Are you ready? Are you ready to talk to each other about this hope? This is what verse 18 says, isn't it? If you're not ready, ask yourself, well, what do, what, do, what do I need to do to get ready? I think one is we need to learn. We need to learn these, these truths, don't we? Number two is we need to prepare. I'd go and do my post-it notes on the mirror. Three is I think we need to have a go. I find I'm so clumsy and awful talking to people. When I feel like there's, a, when I feel like there's lots of pressure, I'm just clumsy and awkward and, oh, I'm rubbish. So why not practice with someone? Say, can we go and have a coffee? I want to talk about the Christian hope. Can we practice? I'd like to practice with you what I'd, what I'd say to my brothers and sisters who are grieving. Can you tell me what you'd say? I'll tell you what I'd say. Why not go away and do that this week? That'd be a, a great thing to do, wouldn't it? Friends, we are not supposed to be ignorant about death, about the return of Christ, and about the amazing hope that we have. This is what we need to know about those who die in Christ and Christ's return. And it's supposed to give us hope. Our grief is supposed to be categorically different because of what we find in this passage. This is hope to be shared. Encourage each other with these words. I want to finish by saying how important this is. Okay? Some of you are going, oh, someone else can do it. This is really, really important. Okay? And let me give you some reasons why. Um, biblical counsellor Paul Tripp says, when you're grieving, there are all kinds of temptations. Okay? One temptation in grief is doubt. Dismay. Does God really love me? We feel. And, and the trouble with doubt in our grief is that it can make us kind of, as it were, go down into the basement. And the door kind of gets locked behind us. And we can't see God's love shining, the hope that there is. We can go down into the basement. So it's really important that we share hope with one another. Because there's a temptation to doubt. There's an also a temptation to anger. Now death should make us angry, shouldn't it? But that anger can sometimes lead to anger with God. So we need to be speaking hope to each other, don't we? A grief can also lead us to envy. Why did this happen to ha- have to happen to me and the person that I care for? Why can't it ever happen to someone else? Can't we switch places? And when your heart's consumed with envy, it's a heartfelt disappointment with God. Oh, we need to find hope in God, in what he's doing, in his big plan that we find in these verses. Or perhaps still too. In our grief, it can lead to self-pity, where we think, no one's had a grief like my grief. 
No one's had a pain like my pain. And life becomes all about us and it leads us away from loving God and loving neighbour. You see that? We desperately need this hope. We desperately need that hope. We need to be prepared with hope. The Lord Jesus wants us to have it. It's here in our passage. Will you grab hold of it? Will you share it? It's very difficult, isn't it, to prepare for grief. And in some ways, you can never prepare for for grief. Even Even if you know it's coming, you never quite know how it's going to work out in your life, do you? And that's fine. And grief might show itself in all kinds of ways. The depression, the bargaining, the denial. And, and, and that's okay. But in all these things, we can find hope in the scriptures. The hope of the day of the Lord that is coming. Christ will gather up all his people. He will leave none out. None will be sidelined. And we will meet him together in the air. And so we will always be with our Lord. What a day that will be. Encourage each other with these words. Let's pray, shall we? Our loving Father, we thank you for this word from you. And Father, we ask that we might be prepared to encourage each other with it. We ask that we might be those able to grieve distinctively and with hope because of this amazing truth that we've taken hold of. We praise you that we can know with absolute confidence that our Lord and Saviour, raised on the third day, will not fail to gather up all of his own, that none will miss out. We will meet him in the air and never be parted ever, ever again. Reunited with our saviour, reunited with our brothers and sisters. What a day to look forward to. And we ask that we might carry that deep in our hearts and share it widely and well. For we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.